ahead of us before this this service is over. And uh, we're going to turn to Hebrews chapter 10. And you're going to want to put a thumb in Hebrews 10. We're going to be going back to it quite a few times. But starting in verse 7, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 7. And I will do my best not to take super long tonight. I know that we are planning on cleaning the the church. Talking tonight um, about living the phrase, let us. Not lettuce, uh, although there have been some moments and times in my life where I, I really need to live lettuce, uh, a little less beef, a little less pork, a little more lettuce. But we're going to be talking about the phrase, let us. This phrase is used 234 different times in the King James Version. Perhaps now uh, you you can already think of some uh, very well-known instances where this phrase occurs. Uh, in Genesis chapter 1, God says, let us make man in our own image. In Genesis chapter 11, uh, man says, let us build us a city and a tower whose height will reach unto heaven. Uh, but tonight we're going to cover three of them, three instances of this phrase that if we choose to live them, can alter our lives a little bit. Uh, this is kind of dovetails with our Wednesday night uh, apostolic truths that we don't shout about. Um, and like those other Wednesday nights, we'll, we'll grab a portion of Scripture. And, and I, I really wish I was tempted just to read like Hebrews 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10 and then uh, let the Word speak for itself. Uh, but we're going to read Hebrews chapter 10 starting in verse 7. And um, I believe God will help us to see some things today. There's, by the time we get done, there's a couple of verses that we're going to go through together that I had not looked at in this way or looked at with any particular emphasis before. And uh, it, is, it is going to be pretty, a pretty fun moment. Let's dive in. Hebrews 10 and 7 says, Then said I, Lo, I come... In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do thy will, O God. This is uh, the, the writer of Hebrews is, is quoting Old Testament scripture. This is a prophecy that Jesus, the Messiah, when he would come, this is his words saying. And verse 8, it says, Above when he said sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin, thou wouldest not. Neither hadst pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. Now what this verse 9 is referring to is the doing away of the Old Covenant or the Old Testament, the law of Moses and the establishment of the New Testament, the New Covenant that Jesus Christ with his own blood instituted for us. It's reminiscent to me of the prayer of our Savior in the Garden of Gethsemane as he's, he's agonizing over the price that is about to be paid by his blood and by his sacrifice. Jesus utters those words, nevertheless, not my will, 
but thy will be done. This is a place in prayer that you and I need to revisit frequently. It's amazing how quickly our humanity can shift the focus from the will of God to our will. Without even any conscious thought of it, if we're not intentional about coming to a place and saying, not my will, but thy will, then we can just wake up one day and realize, wait, I've, I've lived this whole day after my desires, after my purpose, and after my will. Verse 10, it goes on, it says, by the which will, whose will? This is God's will. By God's will... We are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Anybody in here ever go to work and feel like you do the same thing every day? And it feels like one day is exactly the same as the next. And at the end of the day, you wonder if you accomplished anything. Now, we understand that those, those Levitical priests, as they offered these sacrifices, they were rolling back the sin one day and one year, and it was just year by year being rolled back. But how futile to know and to understand that every sacrifice you offer is doing nothing to actually take away the sin. It would be like going to a job where you do the same thing every day and it's just it's repetitive. There's nothing to it. And you're just doing it over and over and over again. Perhaps that's why in Acts chapter six and verse seven, it says that there was a the number of disciples that multiplied in Jerusalem and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Perhaps just maybe they they saw that this this sacrifice of the blood of Jesus Christ was enough to take away sins. And so these these priests having engaged in this daily ritual and time and time again going through it. Now they're excited about a sacrifice that has once and for all covered the cost of sin. Picking up again in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 12. But this man, after that he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. Now it's a reference, of course, to uh, or it's it's referring to God's right hand. Uh, we, we know that God is a spirit and does not have a physical right hand except in the form and in the personage of Jesus Christ. But it is talking about how Jesus occupies a place of great privilege and power. God has elevated him to a place of privilege and authority. And so now the church has this view and it has this understanding of the importance of Jesus Christ. We've used the phrase in our modern day English to say somebody is our right hand man is to say that they're, you know, they're very important. They're valuable. The right hand in scripture is a reference to the strength and the authority of God. It's it's similar to Philippians where it says, let this mind in Philippians chapter two and verse five be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto the 
unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's a an understanding that God has raised up this man, Jesus, uh, who is both God and man. He has been exalted and elevated, and there's power in the name of Jesus. There's power in the sacrifice that Jesus gave once and for all. We are going somewhere, I promise. Everybody still with me? Awesome. Verse 13 of Hebrews chapter 10. It says, from henceforth, expecting from the right hand of God, he there sits expecting and awaiting until his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Think about that. One offering, one time. Wouldn't it be nice any parents in the house to only have to wash clothes one time ever and they were forever clean? To wash dishes just one time? Or, ooh, here's a good one. It's summertime. Just mow the lawn once all summer and it stays like freshly cut. Get one haircut. I hate shaving. Shave one time and it would be forever done, taken care of. Baby face smooth, just, just glorious, freshly shaved. But, but those things don't happen. And under the Levitical priesthood, it was a daily thing, a yearly thing. But the power of Jesus Christ being made in as a man, he humbled himself. He became obedient. And that offering was perfect. That offering was so complete. That offering was so pure that it only took one time. And by one offering, he has perfected forever them that are sanctified. It only took God one moment at the cross uh, to forever perfect. Now, uh, the, the, the Greek of that are sanctified and many other translations uh, relay it this way. It's a, a, a present tense use of that word. He has only done this one time to perfect those that are being sanctified. He completes us, though we have not reached total holiness. We have not reached total sanctification. Someday we're going to be glorified. Someday this sinful nature is going to be washed away. But his blood is so powerful that in the meantime, uh, he can bring this imperfect, incomplete human being uh, into a status of righteousness and perfection by his blood. I'm telling you, that begins to do something for my heart. Now, verse 13, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. It's a quotation of Psalm 110 and verse 1. It said, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at, thy, at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. In its original context, this is speaking strictly of the Davidic covenant. This, this agreement he made with David to, to establish David's throne and establish David's house, that there would never want a man of the line of David to sit on the throne. But in its prophetic context, it's speaking of the coming Messiah. This is, by the way, the most quoted verse in the New Testament. This chapter, 
Psalm 110 is the most referenced chapter in the New Testament, especially when you bring in Psalm 110 in verse 4, where it reads, The Lord hath sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, that's why I wanted to read Hebrews 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10, because Hebrews chapter 7 dives in at great length to an understanding of Jesus as a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. He is both king and priest. He is ruler of all. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and he's the one that is that intermediary between God and man. That's why Jesus, as he walks on this earth, proclaims in John chapter 14 and verse 6, nobody comes to the Father but by me. And one time per year, the priest, the high priest alone, would enter into the holiest of holies with the blood of atonement. One time per year, it was the role of the priest to approach God on behalf of the people. I'm thankful to live in a New Testament day, a New Testament context where it is not just Pastor Mark's job one day per year. I mean, can you imagine the excitement? Let's call it. Uh, Easter Sunday is the one day per year that our that our, our senior pastor can go into that place, that holiest of holies. But of course, we understand and we know that we can do that personally because of the door that Jesus has made. We can do that corporately every single time that we gather the presence of God, the glory of God falls and descends. But one time per year. This high priest would enter into the holiest of holies with the blood of atonement. And they would do it with absolute reverence, with absolute care and concern, knowing that every time they began to push past the veil, they were taking their life into their hands. We go back to Hebrews chapter 10 and pick up in verse 15. Referencing again verse 14, it says, By one offering he has perfected forever them that are sanctified, whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us, for that after he had said before, This is the covenant I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. It's another quote from the Old Testament from Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 33. God was promising to give us the earnest of our inheritance. Much as Jesus is waiting for everything to be brought under his feet and that final limit of death to be completely wiped out and destroyed, you and I are waiting for the ultimate glorification of our body. But in the meantime, God's given us the earnest of our inheritance, the beginning, the taste, the small beginning of what he's going to do for us. He's given us through his spirit. He has blessed us with the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Now, not only is there a priest that can access God, there is a priest that has come to us. See, I didn't fully understand or I'd never thought of it until uh, I'm reading through a book called I Am by David Norris. But not only did the priest approach God on behalf of the people, but the priest also approached the people on behalf of God. The priest was given words from the Lord to carry back 
from the Lord to the people and to to speak them out over the congregation as the voice and the lips of God. What did what did the people tell Moses? You go to God and talk to him for us. You come back and tell us what he said that we die not. So there's an intermediary between God and man. There's this 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 person that stands between them. Now, you've heard the words. We've been singing the song extensively. It's from Numbers chapter 6 and verse 22. It says, The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron and unto his son, saying, On this wise shall you bless the children of Israel, saying, The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. And they shall put my name upon the children of Israel, and I will bless them. The priest would step out of the tabernacle after offering the sacrifice and would begin to speak out the name of Yahweh over the people of Israel, would begin to bless them. And in that way, the blessing of God would rest upon them. But we have an high priest who has promised not just to put his name upon us, but to write it inside of us. So Jesus steps onto the scene in John chapter 7 and says, He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. Peter grabs a hold of this in Acts chapter 2, in verse 32. As he's preaching on the day of Pentecost, he says this, This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which ye now see and hear. He's talking about the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Our heavenly high priest, Jesus Christ, who is King of kings, Lord of lords. He is the high priest. He's that intermediary. Is, is, I believe it's First Timothy chapter 2 says there's only one mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus. He has stepped out uh, and begun to speak unto his church. And not just a blessing upon them. It's a blessing in us. Not only are we covered with his name when we're baptized in the waters of baptism and the name of Jesus is called over us, but now there's this blessing. Uh, there's this communion with God through our high priest inside uh, of us. The spirit of God lives inside of you and I. I'm telling you, there's something incredible when we understand this relationship of Jesus Christ, this this important role that he begins to fulfill. And he says this in verse 17 of Hebrews chapter 10, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now, where the remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. I am so thankful That one sacrifice was enough to take care of every single one of my mistakes, whether they be past, uh, whether they're mistakes I've made recently, uh, or God forbid, mistakes I make in the future. Uh, There is no more sacrifice that is needed. All I need to do uh, is come back to a place of repentance and say, God, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, And those sins and iniquities God has pledged and has promised, I... uh, 
am not going to remember them anymore. I'm not going to think about them. I'm not going to hold them against you. Thank you, Jesus, uh, for your blood that was applied to my life. Thank you, Jesus, uh, for that blood that flowed freely from your side, uh, for that crown of thorns on your head, uh, that whip across your back. Thank you, God, uh, that you took metaphorically your blood uh, to the mercy seat of heaven and applied it there. Ah. Let's lift our hands across this place and just give him some thanks right now. Uh, oh, is anybody thankful that your past uh, has been covered by the blood? Uh, are you thankful that it only took one sacrifice uh, of the perfect lamb of God to wash away all sin? Ah, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And we laid all of that groundwork to get to this point. We have a mediator between us and an unapproachable God. Uh, There is now a bridge for sinful humanity to walk across uh, the broken body of Jesus Christ. And covenant relationship can be restored uh, with a perfect and holy God who calls us uh, to holiness and to perfection. But verse 19 says this, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh and having a high priest over the house of God. See, the presence of the ark was a fearful place. Nobody got to see it. It was covered at all times. One set of living eyes got to lay eyes on it one time per year. The sons of Aaron died before the Lord near the ark. Uzzah was smitten when he touched the ark. Dagon, a false god of the Philistines, was humbled and his arms were broken off and he was found on his face repeatedly before the physical manifestation of the presence of God. The Philistines were plagued for mistreating the glory of God found in the ark. The Israelites were judged for opening the lid of the ark. They touched it unworthily to peek inside and see what might be in there. And yet now in 2021, the Bible says you. You can go boldly into the presence of God. Uh, The high priest would back in, uh, fearfully holding the blood. uh, But you and I can run in uh, because the veil is torn. Uh, That way is open. It is there for you and I to step through uh, to access the holiness uh, and the perfection of God. I'm so thankful uh, that God was not satisfied to leave us uh, at an arm's length, uh, but rather he allowed himself to be torn open uh, and ripped to shreds uh, and draw us through that veil, uh, that veil that was torn up to his side. You have the ability to enter in to the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Because of everything we've read tonight, because of the preceding chapters, the writer of Hebrews began to give application and commandment of how we should live. 
See, I, I was talking with Pastor Mark about this before service. I, I love Bible study nights because it's, it's like application time. We're good at inspiration. We love inspiration. We need inspiration. But there's, there's a time where you've got to take this truth that you've been given. You've got to apply it. Even better is when the Bible gives you direct application of what to do with all of this head knowledge that we've just gained. The Bible tells us very clearly. We'll back up uh, to verse 19. We'll read that again, leading us into verse 22, because he gives us three very direct statements on what to do with this knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. It says, having therefore, backing up to verse 19 of Hebrews chapter 10, Brethren, boldness to enter in by to the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And because we have an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, full of in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The writer is still drawing on the language of the Old Covenant, and he's applying it to the New Testament. The blood and water were applied to seal the covenant of Moses, the giving of the law. It was sprinkled over the people as they agreed to the covenant with God. The blood was sprinkled out over them. It was sprinkled over the book. It was applied to the ear and the thumb and the toe of Aaron and his sons. The blood was applied to the altar. Everything was cleansed by the blood. The blood and water flowed freely from the spear-pierced side uh, of Jesus on that cross. Uh, But now you and I, uh, when we repent and say, Jesus, I'm so sorry, uh, we can appropriate that blood into our lives. Uh, When we go down in the waters of baptism, uh, that water is applied to us. And so you and I can step into the full assurance of faith uh, with a true heart uh, And a confidence of who we are in God. See, if you've repented of your sins and you've been baptized in Jesus' name, it's been covered by the blood. Your heart has been sprinkled from an evil conscience. Uh, Your body has been washed by pure water. Uh, You have now been found clean and pure in the sight of God. Uh, And so you can, uh, with a pure heart in full assurance of the faith, step in uh, to the presence of God. You don't have to feel condemned by your past. You don't have to feel brought down by how you've made mistakes and failures. uh, But you have a true assurance. uh, I am a child of God. uh, I can step into the presence of God. uh, I don't have to be ashamed. uh, I deserve to be here. Not because I'm special, uh, but because God's grace has been applied to my life. Uh, I'm not an interloper in the courtroom. Uh, I'm a son of God. uh, Can you imagine uh, what kind of parent, what kind of parent, actually we've probably seen them in in humanity and in in our fault, but when my kids run up to me, it's my favorite thing in the world. When when, when my precious kids run up to me and want to wrap me in their arms, they want to hop in my lap, it does something to my heart. It, it, it begins to stir me. It, and even when I'm upset to have my, my, my kid run up and want to give me a kiss on the cheek and tell me, Daddy, you're so awesome. I'm, I'm upset at the moment. 
but that's my child. That's my baby. And they're telling me I'm a good daddy and they want to give me a kiss on the cheek and they they just want to be around me. Hebrews 10 and 22 in the New Living Translation reads this way. Let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting in him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean and our bodies have been washed with pure water. A while back, Pastor Mark preached a message. I, I believe it was called, I'm not a beggar. Beggars grovel and plead. Beggars are down on all fours and they're, they're begging and they're, they're groveling. They're, they're, it's, it's, it's uncomfortable to be around. But sons and daughters boldly ask for their desires. Sons and daughters have a right to be in the presence of their father. Because of who our father is, uh, because of our mediator between sinful humanity and sinless perfection in God, uh, now we can draw near. Let us draw near uh, with a true heart, with full assurance. Mm. The second thing that the writer of Hebrews tells us to do in verse 23, he says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith. Without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. That first word listed as faith in the King James is elpis. Uh, most or many other English translations or render this word as hope. Literally, it means to anticipate, usually with pleasure, expectation or confidence. What, whatever word you want to use, whether it's faith or hope, we, we've got to grab a hold of it tightly. So what is our hope? Our faith and our hope is in Jesus Christ. It's in his sacrifice for us on the cross. It's in his burial. But our greatest hope of all. That hope that we need to hold fast to without wavering is in the resurrection. The fact that he got back up out of that grave. And as Romans 6 and 4 says, we are buried with him through baptism. That like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Uh, our hope is the eternal life that God uh, is preparing for us. Our hope is uh, that there's someday coming in the near future uh, when my sinful flesh will be eradicated. Uh, when I'll be like him uh, as he truly is. Uh, where the pain in my body will be gone, uh, where the tear running down my cheek is going to be done away with, uh, where depression and fear will no longer be, uh, where all of this pain and loss and, and hurtful memories that, that we know they're covered by the blood, but in our humanity, we can't forget them. Uh, it's all going to be erased in one moment uh, at the feet of Jesus. Uh, my hope is that someday I'm going to walk through a gate of a single pearl down a street of gold. Uh, there's going to be a crystal sea. Uh, but at the center of it all is going to be the lamb uh, that was slain from the foundation of the world. Uh, my hope is that I'm going to see my grandpa again someday. Uh, my hope if the Lord tarries is I'm going to see uh, other lost loved ones that have faded away. Uh, my hope is that I will spend eternity with him. 
Now, that might not mean a whole lot to us in 21st century America if we're super comfortable here. But in the first century, when this was written, when they're being sawn asunder, they're being torn apart by wild beasts. They're losing everything for the sake of the gospel. Uh, There's a hope you can grab a hold of uh, and hold on to when they begin to strip the rights away uh, from our First Amendment that say we can meet together. uh, When it becomes illegal for us as a church to gather, uh, when family turns their back on you uh, because you want to believe in Jesus. There's a hope that you can hang on to. There's a faith that you can profess uh, that we've got to hold fast without wavering. Why? For he is faithful that promised. Uh, He is faithful that said, uh, I am going to prepare a place for you. Uh, In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there ye may be also. You see, we've got a hope down inside of us uh, that no matter how dark it gets here on this earth, uh, we've got a Savior that's coming back for us. Uh, And in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, uh, the trump is going to sound uh, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we, uh, which are alive and remain, uh, will be caught up together with the Lord uh, in the sky. Why 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12 reads, fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you have declared so well before many witnesses. Which life are you holding tightly to? The previous verses were about our interaction with God in confidence. We can hold fast and draw near unto God in an assurance of faith, washed, cleansed. But the writer of Hebrews has one more let us statement. Now, this is where it starts to get messy. Somebody slap your neighbor and tell him it's about to get messy. In the same soaring conversation. About the throne room of heaven. About end time understanding. He gets right down into the practical in verse 24. And says, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Now, to consider. That word means to observe fully. To behold, to consider, to discover, to perceive. There's not really any escaping the word when it it says to observe fully. How many of us are comfortable with full and complete observation of our lives? That's pretty intense, isn't it? And yet that's what the writer of Hebrews commands us to do to provoke when is the last time you heard the word provoke used in a positive way we're familiar with uh, fathers provoke provoke not your children to wrath we're, we're familiar with that in in another way you could translate that word to incite there's another word that's rarely used in a positive connotation 
Basically, the only way we use the word incite is when somebody's inciting a riot. They're, they're inciting a riot, and it's a crime that people are charged with. But the New Living, again, to go back, renders it like this. Let us of this way, or let us think of ways, rather, to motivate one another to acts of love and good work. We have a scriptural command to provoke our brothers and our sisters. We have a scriptural command to begin to watch over your brother, to incite them, not inciting them to anger, but to good works. We have scriptural commandment. And this is not just talking. It doesn't say pastors. Observe fully your church and provoke them to good works. It says, let us consider one another to provoke them. You see, we are commanded to begin not to be a bunch of busybodies and be nosing our way into somebody else's business, uh, but to be prayerfully watching over one another. And when you see something through eyes of faith in a brother or a sister, uh, to come alongside of them and to begin to provoke them, uh, to incite them, not, not just to make them angry, that's not what we're reaching for, but to good works. Let's try it. Let's try it from another angle in Philippians chapter two. Remember where it says Jesus was found in fashion as a man. He humbled himself. The four verses immediately before that, they read like this. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? The obvious these are rhetorical questions. The obvious answer is yes, of course. Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Yes, being the answer from the church in Philippi back to Paul for all of those things. Yes, there's comfort in the love of Jesus. Yes, there's fellowship together in the spirit. There's there's just something about stepping in. If you've never traveled to another Pentecostal church, there's there's something about stepping into the church where you can feel the spirit of God. That you, you can immediately recognize it and feel it. You can connect with somebody you've never met because there's a fellowship of the spirit. So Paul says, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and one purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out for only your own interests, but take an interest in others too. It's a challenging thought for us because we don't like to be fully observed. But James has a scriptural command to fully observe the life of Jared. And when he sees avenue and time and place, he has scriptural command to come alongside me and begin to provoke me. Come on, buddy. You haven't been praying as much as you see. I, I, I see it on you. It's not there like it should be. It's, it's, it, you know, you're not really quick in the spirit like you used to be. Is everything all right? Is, is this going well? Man, have you been reading your Bible like you're supposed to? Maybe we should go on a fast together. Man, I notice you look like you're a little bit down. Would you like to meet me at the church to pray? 
That's the scriptural viewpoint of a church. That's how we are to interact with each other. But here we are uncomfortable with somebody else. Don't raise your hand. But how many of you would be comfortable if the brother or sister sitting next to you right now came up to you and tried to provoke you unto deeper prayer, deeper Bible reading, deeper fasting, deeper service? See, we've got to be willing to be open. I would be so foolish to think that the only person that can come up to me and begin to correct me and to guide me would be my pastor. Is there nobody else in this church that loves me? Is, of course there is. It is it's not mo- almost everybody in this church filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost? Of course they are. And so the same spirit that speaks to me can speak through them. And God help me if I'm too uptight uh, to welcome a brother or a sister coming up beside me and saying, Hey, let's go to the church and pray. Hey, man, maybe we should get some fasting in together. That thought in verse 24 ends with a colon. Now, perhaps, of course, we we understand and we know that punctuation doesn't exist in the Greek text in the same way that it exists in, in our English text. But it does denote that the thought continues. It's not the end of the sentence. The end of the sentence is this. Well, let's back up and read verse 24. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. How else am I going to be fully observed by my brothers and sisters in Christ unless I get together with my brothers and sisters in Christ? That's why some people don't want to come to church. Because when you come to church, the Holy Ghost is moving and flowing. And brothers and sisters who have the influence and the discerning of the Holy Ghost might begin to provoke you. It's a lot easier to stay home and withdraw into yourself to be an island unto yourself. But he he says, don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Something happens when the people of God assemble. Something happens when two or three gather together in the name of Jesus Christ in any place he has promised to be there in the midst of them. There's there's power. Of course, you understand this. You're here on a Wednesday night, not a, a big Sunday service. You're here after a long day of work. But I, I, I want to provoke and I want to prod everybody under the sound of my voice. There's something that happens when hungry people step into an atmosphere and they focus their mind and their attention on God. There were already some in this first century church that were withdrawing and the writer of Hebrews is fighting against it. But he says this as we stand together, rather exhorting one another and so much the more as we see the day approaching. See, they saw the day approaching. They saw it 2,000 years ago with their, with their spiritual eyes. They realized that this is a wicked day that we live in and the day's approaching. 
That day is quickly approaching in 2021. It's getting closer and closer. And as the day gets darker and darker, uh, the church needs to commit to meeting more, not less. The church needs to assemble more uh, and not less. The church needs to love one each other more uh, and not less. The church needs to encourage and exhort one another more and not less. There's a dark day that's approaching. It's coming closer and closer. And we as the church need to be encouraging one another, exhorting one another, provoking one another, inciting one another. Not to riotous living, but to righteous living. Provoking and prodding and pushing one another. Come on, James, uh, you can do it. Come on, Ashley, uh, I believe in you. I believe, Brandon, uh, that you can take your prayer life to the next level. There's a ministry of provoking in the church that needs to rise. There's a ministry of, of beginning to prod one another and encourage and exhort and fully observe our lives in the church. So we're going to pray together as a church. And then before we're dismissed, I want you to find one person and provoke them. I told you, see, this is where it gets messy. Find one person, not your spouse. You can do that at home. Provoke your spouse at home. Spouses allow one another to provoke you. If somebody says, hey, we should pray, it doesn't mean they're being super spiritual. It doesn't mean that they're saying you never pray. Now, if they say you never pray, well, then deal with that first. But just because somebody says, hey, we should get a few minutes of prayer in. That's not a judgmental statement. That's an incitement to righteous living. It's an incitement to step up into that place where God has allowed us to be. Let's lift our hands together in this place. Lord, I thank you for your people. I thank you for your church. I thank you, Lord, that we can hold fast on eternal life. I thank you uh, that we have access by your blood into the holiest of holies in that place where we can draw into your presence. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood uh, that flowed so freely. Thank you, Lord, for washing away my sins. Uh, and I thank you, God, uh, for brothers and sisters in this church that love me, that care care about me enough, Lord, to begin to provoke me, uh, to begin to incite me. Uh, I pray you would speak to us, Lord, about one another. Uh, I pray we would not be so concerned about our own business uh, that we would be too busy to observe the lives of each other, uh, but we would be thinking highly of each other, uh, thinking more highly of others than of ourselves, loving one another. uh, In the name of Jesus, I pray. And I challenge you in this moment, find somebody in this room. We're going to get to cleaning in just a second, but find somebody in this room and provoke them. Why don't we go ahead and do that right now? In love. Go ahead. Go provoke somebody. Incite somebody. Somebody.